Hello and welcome back to the Elite Football Show. My name is Hayda and I'm your host as usual today. It is Wednesday evening. Spurs have just won on the penalty shootout yesterday. So I'm joined by Chris Miller, the po- uh, the host for the Extra Inch podcast. Massive Spurs fan. Found it as well. He doesn't live too far from me. So if it wasn't for COVID, we'd probably be sitting around the table, you know, ha- having a drink or whatever, having a coffee and uh, talking this out. But uh, Chris, you must be delighted to see you get one over Chelsea like you did last night in that fashion. Yes, it was a very pleasant surprise having picks uh, a proper B team with no striker and always nice to win a London derby and uh, nice to get one over on Chelsea. Yeah, definitely. Absolutely. I just thought Mourinho's comments were quite funny, weren't they? Because obviously it downplayed your chances. And look, people take these both ways. I, I follow a lot of Spurs fans and uh, there was definitely a split opinion on what Jose said. There was one half saying, obviously, don't say things like that. A trophy's a trophy. Spurs need to win the trophy, whether it's Carabao, whether it's you know the Premier League, a trophy's needed at Tottenham. But then you had the other half saying, look, this is Mourinho. And being a United fan, I know what Mourinho's like. Everything you hear in the press conference, you shouldn't take on face value. I think that could probably be said for a lot of managers. And unfortunately, the the modern football fan jumps on every single piece of news and just reacts to it. But um, were you surprised at what Jose said? Or do you think it was, again, one of his mind games? 100% mind games. There's always, there's always mind games. That's his, that's his, that's his thing. He, he, knows, he knows exactly what to say in any given situation, uh, in front of the press and and he he works that dynamic pretty well he lowered expectations amongst the fan base so hence me saying it was a pleasant surprise because I really didn't think that we'd or when I saw the lineup I'm just, I, I thought we're not taking this seriously uh, um, and, I, and I kind of understood as well because we've got I think it was four games in eight days we've got another game on Thursday followed by a game on Sunday so there needs to be a rotation that's completely reasonable so, yeah, I mean, I can see exactly what he did and I can see why he said it. Uh, and now he's come out looking like uh, like a hero. So he, he's played, played the hand perfectly. Yeah, absolutely. And that's, that is the thing, isn't it? You look at Tottenham's schedule and everyone always says when a team plays in Europa League, it's very unlikely they can win the Premier League just because of that. For some reason, a Thursday to a Sunday game hits differently to a Champions League Tuesday, Wednesday to a Saturday or Sunday. I don't know why. Maybe it's a mentality thing, obviously, later on in the week. But you've got to think as well. I know we don't like to think about commercial side of it, but getting through to the Europa League is an extra, what, 30, 40 million for Tottenham, which which is which is massive in COVID times. But um, before we sort of talk about transfers and things like that, I just want to get your views on Tottenham's start to the season. So I've watched Spurs play a few times. I saw the game against Newcastle, which I can imagine you were absolutely fuming about. But Tottenham are looking more like a Jose team, I would say. Very, very devastating on the counter. I still, look, as a United fan, I loved Jose Mourinho. I wanted him in. But the football is not the prettiest. It can be boring when you're winning and you know, you're solid at the back. It's effective. I think you can handle that. But when you're not winning, it's a chore to watch him play, uh, watch his sides play. But uh, what are your thoughts on his start to the season? And is there anything that's impressed you from what we saw last year? So firstly, you're absolutely right in your summations and and what transpired at United and what you've just described there is identical to how I feel about how things are going at Spurs so far. Uh, so 
when when we play counter-attacking football and it goes well, i.e. second half against Southampton, it's thrilling because you've got Harry Kane dropping deep and playing passes into Son Kyung min who's one of the best attacking wingers uh, who, who can finish supremely well and he scores four goals and it's, it's all well in the world and it's, it's lovely. Uh, when that doesn't work in that way, you have the first half against Southampton or you have the Everton game or you have the second half against Newcastle. Pretty drab, not much to get excited about and heavily reliant on individual brilliance. Um, so, you know, the, the start of the season, I would say, has gone okay. Um, happy with the, the Chelsea result in the Carabao Cup. Happy to have got through in the Europa League, although neither performance was fully convincing. Uh, the Southampton result, great, obviously. Everton was a huge disappointment. Newcastle was a huge disappointment. Although I would say I wasn't fuming, actually, after the after the Newcastle game. I actually felt some optimism um, because I thought the first half against Newcastle was the best half of football I've seen from Spurs under Jose Mourinho so far. So there was definitely some sort of uh, signs of growth, signs of a, a team being established, signs of a pattern, and we actually controlled the game, in my view, for the first time since he took over. Yeah, I completely... I completely agree, especially the first half. I watched the game up till about the 88th minute. Then I went upstairs. I had a podcast. Uh, I came back down and it's what 1-1. And look, the VAR has been, well, the new handball rule. I actually think VAR has been better since we started. But the new handball rule is is a farce. And if it weren't for that, Spurs would be sitting on, what, six points uh, from nine? They'd, they'd be doing pretty well. But I kind of want to drill into more about Jose because we've seen the Spurs documentary come out, which is a great watch. And... I always say this, look, give Jose Mourinho the tools that he wants. It won't necessarily be, like we said, attacking, free-flowing football. It'll be effective and at times thrilling, but he's going to win because he's a winner. And when I watch the documentary, maybe it's the editing, but I think he's an absolutely enthralling character. I think he's absolutely, he's just box office, isn't he? But I sat there thinking, I'm so happy you're not my manager right now. <laughs> and that's really crazy to say. And I, I don't want to put him down because I still think People that say Jose's finished, not once when I was watching the documentary did I think, right, the tactics are outdated or what he's saying isn't right to the players. I think everything he did, obviously there's editing to it. We don't see all the conversations. But I thought this is a guy that still knows what he's doing. He still has that aura about him. He's got a group of players that had five years under Pochettino, someone I'm a massive fan of, by the way, as United fan. A lot of United fans like Pochettino. But seeing the, the obviously the adjustment from a different style from a heavy style of play under Pochettino, much more high energy, higher press, two training sessions a week. Fantastic the way he built the club. But at the end of the day, no trophies to show for that. And so the players obviously became disillusioned. A young squad now to an, more of an older squad. Jose comes in. He's got such a difficult job, hasn't he, to rebuild the squad, deal with players that wanted to leave. You saw Christian Eriksen, Danny Rose, Vertonghen's now gone. So considering all these things... And the way Tottenham actually ended the season last season, I thought Mourinho did a very, very good job. And I think Tottenham are in a good place to challenge for the top four. I mean, am I wrong in that assumption? I mean, obviously, as a United fan, it's tough to say, but I think Jose's got Spurs on the right track. Um, I mean, I pretty much agree with what you said at the start there, that he is box office. 
and he is Mr. Charisma and he's really fun to watch. Uh, and I would find him fun to watch if he weren't at my club. Um, and I, you know, don't get me wrong. Many, many Spurs fans are delighted to have Jose Mourinho. You know, this is a man who is one of the most successful football managers of all time. And for good reason, he's obviously been supremely talented over many, many years. Um, I personally would question whether whether he has uh, adapted to, to modern football uh, and not just modern football, modern players and um, Gen Z, some of the younger players. He's having problems with managing some of the younger players. That's, I mean, they're all question marks. I don't think we can come down and say definitely either way on, on either of those points. I think he can win a trophy. I definitely feel like he can win a trophy, but I would just sort of backtrack a little bit and say, I wouldn't swap the two and a half years that we had under peak Pochettino for 10 trophies. They were the best two and a half years of my Spurs supporting life. I absolutely loved every second of it. I felt such a connection with the team, with the man. It was majestic. It was just it was per- it was perfection. It really felt like, as fans, as a as a team, and as a club, we were all pulling in the same direction. We all wanted the same thing, apart from like a little. You know, there's always a, a fringe group of fans, isn't there, who who want something different. But on the whole, people were behind him, and you know, when when the fans were singing his name at the peak of his powers, it was you know hairs in the back of your neck, standing on end type type stuff. And like I said, I wouldn't I wouldn't swap that for for ten. Carabao Cups or five Europa Leagues. I really wouldn't. And I, I say that in, it sounds like I'm I'm bitter about it, but I, I mean, I mean that genuinely. I really wouldn't do it. I, I just don't care that much about, about trophies. Uh, and for me, it's more about the journey. It's more about the experiences. It's more about seeing how your team's progressing on the pitch. That said, I definitely think that for, for many fans, Mourinho is an antidote. He is a manager more than capable of of doing enough to to get a trophy, to get the wins, to get to a final, and then to grind out a win in the final. And, and I think there's every chance we will. I think there's every chance we will win a trophy this year. I, I do have doubts over whether we can finish top four. Uh, I, I think our system, as it stands, is is unsustainable. However, we've we've bought really well, so. You know, Regulon, I think, is a phenomenal left back. I think he's our signing of the summer, to be honest, is the one I'm most excited about. Bale, we don't know yet, but could be a, a match winner. And and maybe we do, maybe we do get top four because we've we've bought fantastic players. And if Mourinho can can give them a platform on which they can can do their thing, then we have a chance. For me, I think we'll fall a little short of top four, but I think we could win a trophy for sure. Yeah, fantastic point. So I want to break that down a little bit. So on Pochettino, my favourite manager out there right now, as United fan, I thought what he did at Tottenham was incredible. And I did a podcast when Jose got the job and when Pochettino got sacked, so I did sort of a, what's Pochettino? Because, you know, it's the whole thing which people say, and people might laugh at you for saying, oh, I would, you know, I would, wouldn't swap 10 trophies for what we had under Poch. But I think you've got to look at football a bit more holistically. You've got to look at the 
what he actually did at the club, the connection he had with the fans, the players that he brought in, what was built there. And I honestly thought uh, my podcast was about whether Pochettino was a success. And I think he was a resounding success. He made Spurs a Champions League outfit, a regular. Got to the Champions League final, which was amazing. Whether Spurs played well or not is a different question, but you don't fluke your way to the final, in my opinion, in the Champions League. Not in the fashion they did, the teams they beat. But I think the biggest thing about Pochettino was that, it, it, what is about him is that he's got this aura about him. There's something special. Now, when I say that, it sounds a bit crazy, but I always look at him and I think, you know, this could be someone who has a dynasty at a club in the Premier League who could win multiple trophies. He can develop youth. He seems like such a likable character as well with the fans. So when he got sacked, I thought, honestly, probably the worst decision. When I say top, on track for top four, I would say that it looked like with Poch that he needed to clear out. Now, they weren't going to go and clear everyone out, were they, and give him £500 million worth of new players. So the easiest job is what? To sack the manager. With Jose, I agree. I don't think you'll get top four, but I think you're going in the right direction. A lot of people thought he'd come in and he'd just completely flop, but he's turned things around slowly. But yeah, Pochettino or Mourinho? Pochettino for me, for sure. And if you said to me, Solskjaer out tomorrow, Pochettino come in, I would absolutely bite your hand off. That's how highly I rate him. So I can imagine that's quite a difficult thing to see. But one more sort of question about Mourinho, because you did say, you know, there were there were fringes of, the, fringes of the fan base that weren't happy with Poch. But is it with Mourinho sort of a 50-50 split or is there more in favour of him or more against him? That's a really good question. It tends to flip-flop depending on results. Um, such are football fans. Fickle beasts, aren't we? Absolutely. Uh, so, 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 I mean, before the Chelsea game, I, I think if you put a poll on Twitter, it would be 60-40 pro Mourinho. After Chelsea, it would probably be 70-30 pro Mourinho. I, I think... Um, I think a lot of fans do just want to win a trophy. Um, a lot of fans saw the documentary and en enjoyed Mourinho for, for what he is. And, you know, this whole winning mentality thing, which personally I think is bullshit, by the way. I, I just don't, I, I, I really, I, I think there is absolutely um, a place for having the experience and sharing experience, but, when does a player become a winner? When he wins something? What about if they uh, elaborate are on that player? more? Elaborate on that so, more. So, so, um, so, are you saying that you know someone can? So, this idea of a winner. Let's say a winner comes in, and Mourinho comes in, and the players haven't won anything. Are you saying that sort of you have to have a winner to make other people winners? So we've got lots of players who've won things uh, at previous clubs. I. I don't know. I don't think that makes a, a huge tangible difference. Honestly, I think the, the 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 way you win things is by having better players, or by having a manager who creates a team that's greater than the sum of its parts, like Pochettino did. And you know, I say that, and ultimately he didn't win anything. But we sacked off the League Cup under Pochettino. We sacked off the FA Cup. Uh, if if he'd really focus, if he if a trophy meant that much to him and to the club, and really focus, he could have won a League Cup. He's done that. Uh, he just sacked it off. Yeah, he sacked it off because what was more important to the club was champ Champions League qualification because of the financial aspect and 
being attractive to players and the fact we were delivering a stadium at the same time. So we need, we needed that income. We needed that steady income. Um, I just, I mean, don't get me wrong. There's definitely something to be said for having players who have experience of, of winning stuff. I don't think it's the be all end all as uh, the way it's sold in, uh, in some corners of the media uh, and certainly not in the way it's sold in the, the all or nothing documentary. I mean, it's made out that Mourinho comes in and saves the day. It, that wasn't last season. That that's not what last season was. Uh, it we were celebrating Europa League qualification by the end, and that felt a bit desperate to be honest. Yeah, that that that's something for me that I laughed. I remember that at the end of the season where they were all all the manager and the coaching staff were like cheering, and I'm thinking, I mean, I know it was a tough season. Hundred percent. Yeah, I was just yeah, I was just thinking this is. I mean, how far how far have you fallen to 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 celebrate that i mean look for me i i agree with you to an extent i think you don't necessarily have to bring in like, like for example gareth bale is going to come in there's no guarantee that oh he's won what four champions leagues okay now because you've got a real winner there he's going to go and lead you to a title there's so many more components to it and i agree with that i think when it comes to Mourinho, if i'm being honest so you touched a little bit earlier on the on the young players aspect, I do want to sort of touch on Delhi Ali because I think that's something which is uh, which has been bubbling for a while. You saw in the documentary Jose's approach, and this is a problem. See what you'll have in your fan base when Jose goes, because inevitably, whether it's after in that third season, and I don't want to scare you, but you do look at the, the the sort of track record he's had in his last two or three jobs. But by that time he left, it was so toxic. The fan base is split. The fan base is still split at United. So you've got the Jose. There's still people here who will, Spurs will have a great result and they'll be like, oh, look, Jose, Jose still got it. It's as if they support Jose Mourinho. It's a really weird, I don't know if you've got that in your fan base, which is why I asked the question, but you've got these weird sort of Jose cultists. And in our fan base now, it happens. Wait till Oli loses a game. I mean, wh whether you think Solskjaer is a good manager or not, I mean, we know he's not got the credentials, but he's done a better job than people expected of him at United. He's come in and he's actually turned around. There's better football. We play better football than we did under Jose. But you'll still have factions of the fan base that will sort of hold on to him. And they'll say, you know what? The players are the problem, not Jose. Jose's methods of work. But as you alluded to earlier, you know, he is... He hasn't really moved with the times. And when I look at Deli Ali, I think of Paul Pogba, I think of Marcus Rashford, Martial. These are three players that were going to leave Man United. And when I think of that, Deli Ali, very talented. Fallen off a little bit the last few years, very talented. He's not really treating him in the correct way or nurturing him. And then you've got Ndombele as well, supremely talented. Every top club in Europe wanted him the season that Spurs, the summer that Spurs bought him. Are you concerned with, and you saw it in the documentary, are you concerned at how he is managing these players? Because inevitably, if he does have a meltdown next year, he's going to leave a bigger mess for the next manager to clear up. It's so interesting to hear you talk about your experiences as a United fan, because, I mean, these are some of the conversations that I'm having on Twitter with people at the moment. And um, uh, so I've, I've stopped largely tweeting using Mourinho's name. I have to use JM now. Because essentially, the Mourinho stands found 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 me and uh, harass me if I mention the name Jose Mourinho or just Mourinho. It just like it's not worth me doing that because wow. they just they, they'll quote retweet and yeah, look at this guy. He doesn't understand winners, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Literally like that. It's it's like um, conversing with with 
I don't know, 12 year olds. Yeah. Um, it's, it's very sort of, uh, uh, jock draining, jock mentality. Draining though, isn't it? It's very seriously draining. draining. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So I just don't bother. I, I tweet and code, I tweet and code now I use JM. It's just safer or our manager. Um, <laughs> so, I mean, it's that. really interesting to, to hear you sort of describe those experiences you had and, um, you know, Pogba and Rashford and the way things were panning out with some of the young players. Luke Shaw was another one I know. Um, yeah, I'm obviously we don't know what happens behind closed doors, so it's really, really difficult. But what I saw in the documentary from, from Delhi, um, Delhi is a really fascinating character. I think he, I think he is, I, I think people pigeonhole him and think he's stupid and frivolous and childish. I don't think that's true at all. I think Delhi is incredibly sharp. I think he's very um, emotionally intelligent and very switched on to people. So the, the values that he seems to hold dear are friendship and togetherness. And he talks about how the team's like a family to him and he would consider him consider every team member friends of his. That means a lot to him. He said that, and didn't he? He did, yeah. And and I, you know, it really, it, I was quite touched watching that. Genu I, that was one of the few moments where I really felt like there was some genuine emotion on the screen. Um, I don't know if you know much about Delhi's upbringing, but he had a really difficult time um, when he was young. He didn't have a father figure, and his mum was unable to uh, to care for him. So he got taken in by a teammate's family, who then raised him and essentially allowed him to become a footballer and, and the person he is today. So he, he's had a, a challenging life, shall we say. Uh, and I think he's quite an inspirational character. And he's done some stupid things, don't get me wrong. You know, the the, the, the racist um, Snapchat um, at the start of the, the pandemic was really embarrassing. He's, his excuse was a bit flimsy. Uh, I think he was naive. I think he was foolish. Uh, but I don't think he's a bad person. I think he's actually... A really, a really good person and a really intelligent person. And what I saw with Mourinho was Mourinho attempting to sort of probe him and prod him and be bad cop a little bit. You know, he told him that he's he was effing lazy in training, for example. He literally said, "You are an effing lazy trainer." Uh, he said it a couple of times. He said it in training, and then he pulled him to to one side in a, in a manager's meeting um, afterwards. And I watched that meeting and I saw Delhi's body language. You know, he sat there with his arms folded like this. And he's like got his head to the side and he's looking at Mourinho. And I'm thinking this is a man who doesn't trust what he's being told by by his manager. He doesn't buy what Mourinho is telling him, which is I mean, some of the things Mourinho said were absolutely fine. Don't get me wrong. But I don't think he'd won Delhi over in the way he thought he had. Now, I can speculate till the cows come home about what's gone wrong now, but not having him on the bench is utterly, utterly ridiculous. Mourinho's reason was, I have too many players. Fine. Rotate your players um, and, and keep them happy until you can sell some. Fine. Don't not have Delhi on the bench, but have Jedson on the bench. You know, Jedson is a, a, a two-year loan stopgap who, bless him, he tries hard. He's not going to be a Premier League player. What's he Delhi done, Ali, Chris? Yeah, Honestly, I mean, he, he's, he, he, he's nothing. Delhi, Delhi, two years ago was a hundred and fifty million pound player. People were literally saying this this kid is worth one hundred and fifty million. 
his his goal and assist return over four years is really good. Even when he's not playing well, he can score. He can play a through ball. He can play a flick that will result in a goal. He's fantastic. You have him on the bench. If you can't find a place in your first team, not a problem. I've got no issue with that. You have him on the bench. And, and excluding him from the squad feels like it's some sort of deliberate statement, uh, deliberate action to create a ripple effect. Maybe he needs money. Maybe Mourinho has been told you need to generate some funds from the squad. And he's thinking, right, I don't think I can use Delhi. So what I'm going to do is leave him out of the squad and create the situation where he has to ask for a move. I don't know. I'm spe- I'm speculating. We can all speculate as to the reasons. Uh, you know, Delhi could be really difficult for all I know in training. And But that's not what, Mar- what Mourinho said. Mourinho said today that he's taken this all very professionally, more than professionally. He's he's behaved impeccably. He's trained hard, et cetera, et cetera. So I'm lost, I'm lost on, on what's happening there. It's very confusing to me. Chris, fascinating insight. Honestly, look, it, it, I love talking to you about this because I feel like it's really weird. I feel like I'm talking to my like myself talking to like a past self who was obviously had Josie as manager and I'm like look ahead the signs are there things can unravel very quickly but what I will say on Delhi that's the, that's what I picked up on I don't think Mourinho said anything wrong and look everyone's different characters me personally if someone said to me if someone was harder on me I actually thrive on that because that's just the personality I am but I don't. my brother <laughs> I go into yeah. a yeah, so people people are like that, exactly. And whereas my brother, who's, what, 18 months younger than me, we're similar in so many ways, but he's more sensitive. If someone shouts at him, he switches off. That's it. Anyone shouts at him, he won't. He That's it. He will switch off completely with that person. Whereas with me, I'll challenge that a bit more. And I'll use that as... So this is a point. In the past, we know that growing up, when we were younger, players were different, weren't they? They were... I wouldn't say they're made of harder stuff, but they were... You could say to a Frank Lampard or to a John Terry or to a Ricardo Carvalho, a Claude McAuley, like he did in that fantastic Chelsea side, you need to do this. You need to run through a brick wall for me. Marco Materazzi is another one. That inter side was prime Mourinho. That was, what, 12 years ago now? I'm not seeing anything different from what he did then to what he did at United and obviously now what he's doing at Tottenham. Even Chelsea in his later spell. And when I look at... I wanted Jose Mourinho after Sir Alex left. I've always been a Jose Mourinho fan. I wanted Jose Mourinho when he came in, but very quickly I was thinking, oh, he's still scarred from what happened at Real, what happened at Chelsea. He has not learned anything. Nothing suggests to me that when he's come to Tottenham now, he's learned because he's always going to be charming in the media. He was like that at United. Everyone was, everyone was like gripped. They were thinking, oh my God, this guy is fascinating. He was brilliant in his first press conference with Spurs. I think the difference from United and Spurs, and I'm, it's crazy I'm saying this, but you guys have better owners than we do. People question why United fans are so spoiled, why they get upset, because and I don't want to go into it. It's a Spurs, doc, uh, Spurs podcast, but United's owners, their ambitions don't match the fans. They're not geared towards football. It's about making money. Now, from what I saw from Daniel Levy, completely changed my opinion of him, but I know it's edited by him. He's in control, so he's going to make himself look good, but there is someone there that cares. There's someone there that, does want to improve he does want to spend money but we know money's tight this is not money doesn't grow on trees you can't just spend money here and there but i can see a situation where jose will clash with him because i think this summer you guys have done some fantastic business we'll go on to that but moving forward next year if the money's tight again another year with no fans 
Spurs have just got a brand spanking new stadium. Huge revenues will come in. United are losing 100 million per season, four to five million a game. Crazy money right off your off your bottom line. Same thing will happen to Tottenham. If Tottenham, let's say, go fourth or fifth, Jose will want the money, won't he, to spend. Doesn't get the money. What he did for us, turned around and said, this squad isn't good enough. Before the season started, these players aren't good enough. I can't do anything with these players. And then what? If you're a player and you're man- or if you're a manager, you're at work, your manager turns around and says, can't do anything with you guys. You're not good enough. Your heads just drop. And what I worry is that, yes, he's had a good summer. Jose got Zlatan Ibrahimovic, Mkhitaryan, Bailly, Pogba. But when it really mattered, he didn't get the players he wanted. And he sulked. And the problem is you have these Jose, these Jose fanboys, I like to call them. And um, I've I've battled with them on Twitter before. I stopped now. I don't bother. But there's still people two years down the line. And what they say is, oh, well, he'll win a trophy first at Spurs before United win one. And I understand that. He might do that. But the damage he will leave if he doesn't get his way is, I mean, you could lose Son and Harry Kane if things don't go well. I mean, is that something that you're worried about? Because you're saying that obviously you have stopped tweeting about it. But what are your concerns? Because I'm quite interested to hear where you sit in this sort of debate. Uh, I mean, absolutely. Worst case scenario is that there's such a... Yeah, exactly that. You know, something happens and we end up losing Kane or Son. I mean, I, I honestly thought Ndombele was going to go this summer. I, I thought... So, I mean, I think I'm pretty much alone in this. Not many Spurs fans agree with me, but I thought Mourinho's treatment of Ndombele last season was really poor. So he made this um, press conference comment where he basically implied that Ndombele had declared himself unfit for a game, but they didn't trust him. And I found that really problematic, particularly in in light of the documentary where we've heard that Mourinho has allowed players, Kane, for example, to play through injury and then pick up an injury as much more severe injury. I found that slightly problematic around Ndombele. And then even after restart, you know, Ndombele um, was caught out training with Mourinho during during the lockdown, breached the protocols. And we're thinking, brilliant. He's taken him under his wing. He's made him into a pet project. He's he's doing everything he can. I mean, he didn't play a minute in the games after the restart. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm delighted that he's back in the team now because he is, frankly, one of our best players. But I was genuinely really frightened that he would leave in the summer and that would have been a terrible terrible mistake and from what the press have reported Daniel Levy stepped in and said no we're not we're not selling this player we have to make a go of this you know this is a huge investment for our club 63 million we're not a club that can afford to throw away a 63 million pound signing so it's it's turned around and lots of fans are saying oh brilliant you know Mourinho has done an outstanding job motivating Ndombele from this player who wasn't fit and uh could only manage 30 minutes to a player who's now starting and I'm, I'm way more cautious on that on that uh line but yeah I mean I am I am scared that something could go wrong I hope it doesn't I hope everything works out and I hope Mourinho has adapted to modern football and um some of his methods around younger players I seriously have doubts I mean the other thing that's worth mentioning is the, the way the squad is structured now is very different to what we've been used to. So, and actually, I'm really surprised that Levy has uh, agreed to this. But we've we've now got a much older squad than we've had in previous years. So this summer we've brought in Joe Hart. I mean, not exactly the the first name on my list of of backup goalkeepers. He's coming. He's 33. That's you know we've got rid of a 33 year old in Vorm and brought another one in in Hart. Um, he's brought in Do- Doherty. Doherty. 28, 
Um, definitely a, a good player, not in the age profile that we previously would have gone for. And obviously now Bale, who's who's older. I mean, it's only a loan with Bale, so you can you can say it's 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 not so much of an issue. But um, the bigger problem potentially with that is that he hasn't moved on many of the older players that at this point have value but might lose value very quickly. So I'm thinking Lucas, Sissoko, Aurier, players, uh, Gazaniga, another one. Um, Danny Rose is still at the club. Eric Lamella. Don't get me wrong, all of these players have a have a part to play. But in an ideal world, in ideal squad building terms, you'd certainly be looking to move on some of these players whilst they still have value. So if things do go wrong, touch wood they won't. If things do go wrong, we're suddenly lumbered with an aging squad that we can't get shot of and, and can't get maximum value for. And and I I, I I see you nodding because I think that's perhaps what happened with uh, Mourinho at United. Chris, this is so strange because I feel like we're both fans of different teams, but we're very similar in our thinking. When I looked at the Doherty signing, I thought it was very shrewd business. Hoiberg's another one, but I think there was something that it stood out to me. When's Doherty played in the back four? That's the first thing. When you're scouting a player, Doherty was one of the best players, probably one of the best fullbacks in the league, but he played as a wingback right wing back plays so far forward so for me that was always puzzling and then i looked at the age profile the price was brilliant but max irons is on the market for 20 million you could probably drive that down to 15 what you got doherty for that was one that puzzled me another one you want a left back i think regilon's a fantastic signing i'm very gutted we didn't get him i understand why united didn't get him you know potentially it is a long glorified loan that's fantastic business but again that was very opportunistic. That was a last minute thing. You got to wonder like wh- what the strategy is. And when I looked at Jose's strategy, he wanted to shift out Martial. He wanted to bring in Perisic at the time. He, he we didn't go for Fabinho. We went for Matic. Again, Matic is a fantastic player, but at that is at his age now. He's 31, 32. You're looking at what Fabinho is doing at United. And I tweeted out something similar. I, sorry, at Liverpool, I said Fabinho is who United should have gone for. Yes, maybe Matic is a better defensive midfielder, but Fabinho's 25, 26. You've got so many more years in him. The same price, you, you're getting much more use out of the player and there's also a resale, val- resale value. You look as well at the Zlatan deal. Love Zlatan at United, but very big short-termism blocked the progress of Rashford and Martial, both players that were looking to leave. So you think about these these decisions that we made transfer-wise and why did Jose not get why they pulled the plug because basically the, they weren't happy with the strategy of the transfers they were saying well you've bought Bailly you bought Lindelof why do you need another centre back look in footballing terms you look at Guardiola he's spent 450 on a million on fullbacks or defenders but for what I worry about maybe for you guys is that there is this older age profile and if you're going to go and shift out a Deli Alley but then you're going to bring in a player that's older and has very small resale value. And that's the worrying thing. Look, it's not all bad doom and gloom. This is what I want to say, because in that second season, we were up there with City. 4-0, we were winning every week. It was absolutely thrilling. And I thought, this is this is Jose. This is It's going to happen. It didn't happen for us. But I think what the worry is, is that what is the strategy? Because the older players you bring in, the wages are higher, which means you can't shift them. And you look at United's situation right now, we could have lost Martial. We could have been stuck with Perisic. He wanted, who else did he want? He wanted a few older players. He wanted Alderweireld, actually, as well, who I think is a good player. But that's the worry. I mean, moving on to sort of the, the transfers, 
like you said, Bale's come in. Doherty, good signing. If I was Spurs, I would have gone in a different direction. If that was Pochettino, it would have been Max Ahrens. We know that. He would have developed him. He would have built He would have built him up. He would have, you know, said to him, this is your opportunity to play for a big club. Go for it. I don't think he would have gone for Doherty. You're looking at Hoiberg as well. Solid player again. There's, there's more out there, I think, which you could have. I mean, you just have to look at maybe Alan or Decore, two players you could have got instead. But um, I think he'd be a good signing. And then you've got Gareth Bale as well. I think Regillon's going to be a fantastic sign. But Gareth Bale, talk to me about that because it's been, what, seven years since Bale left? Incredible player. Left the Premier League as one of the best players in the world. His stock's fallen a little bit. What's the general feeling around you know, Spurs fans in terms of this transfer? Are they happy? Or is it one of those where it's it's a punt? If it works, it works. If it doesn't, then he goes back. Happy is an understatement. Um, everyone recognises that it's pure nostalgia. It's, you know, there's a, there's a big chance that Bale plays five games and then gets injured and we don't see him again. That's It's, it's entirely possible. But it's the memories that it brings back of, of some great times, uh, him rampaging down the left in the Champions League. Um, yeah, he, it's, 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 just a, it's just a lovely nostalgic signing and it feels like a really good financial deal for us. It's very much uh, a sort of Daniel Levy special. Um, and best case scenario is we've got a fantastic... Uh, foil for Kane and Son who'll play on the right presumably and contribute really well and potentially be able to play as a backup to Kane if we don't sign another number nine because he, you know, my um my podcast friend Nathan who's who's our who's our tactics guy he uh, he he we did a, a video for our patrons um, where he kind of broke down some of Bale's more recent games and we looked at him playing as number nine, and Nathan has managed to convince me that yeah, he could he could definitely do a job there. He's he's way better uh, playing as a nine or a false nine than any other player in our squad other than Kane. So there's a lot of potential there, and you know it is hugely exciting to have have Bale back. And I think also we need to look at the the marketing implications as well of of signing Bale, which is and not unimportant part of the, that transfer. So within the space of, what, a year, we've, we've recruited the most famous football manager in the world, the probably most famous female footballer in the world, and Gareth Bale, who's a huge name. That's very deliberate. That is, you know, that's a, that's a, that's a marketing strategy right there. Yeah, absolutely. Look, something I will say is that it's manager Paul. Whatever you want to say about Jose Mourinho, whether you think he's passed it or not, players still want to play for him. And Yeah, the players don't think he's passed it, that's for sure. Not at all. Yeah, exactly. And you can see that. he's Look, he's still got an aura. It's, what it is is that if, it's what we said at the beginning, if the the style of play is poor but and Spurs aren't picking up results or United weren't picking up results, then there's a problem. If United are winning 1-0 and won the title, I'd celebrate the title. Look. A trophy is a trophy, like we were saying earlier. But it, I suppose it's the it's, it's the approach, isn't it? And if it doesn't work, then things can go sour. But on Gareth Bale, it's like if Ronaldo came back to United, even if he was forty, I'd be absolutely one. La- it's one last dance, isn't it? One last hurrah. And um, we know that Jose's wanted Bale for a long time, 
at United in his second season. He's very interested in him, and I know we were interested in him. And I just think that if there's anyone that can get a tune out of Gareth Bale, and he looks happy, I love to see him happy. I think Real Madrid are a disgusting club. I think they're a club whose fans, <laughs> maybe that's a bit strong, but their fans have no, they have no patience. They're spoiled. And at the end of the day, you could say the same for United fans, to be honest with you. But um, at the end of the day, I think the biggest biggest problem is that they didn't appreciate him. Someone who scored a goal like that against Liverpool twice in that Champions League, he did in the Copa del Rey when he came off the pitch and went back on it again. Incredible player. And he's been managed poorly. He's been treated awfully. So I'm really happy for him. As you mentioned earlier, Reguilon looks like he's going to be a good signing. But um, one player I do want to ask you about, I mean, what, firstly, do you think Deli Ali will leave? Because I think there was there was reports from PSG. Um, I'm speaking to a French journalist tomorrow, so that's something I, I will dig up and I'll send you the link if you want to retweet it tomorrow. Um, but the other player is, the second question is Milan Skriniar from Inter Milan. He's been very heavily linked. I'll be honest. I mean, I watch a lot of Italian football. Two years ago, he was up there with Koulibaly and Romagnoli as the top, or even Chiellini, those sort of top centre-backs in Serie A. He's moved to a three, and he's looked he looks, he's looked awful. Conte, obviously, is not that, I, I suppose he just is not, he's not hot on him. He's not going to play him in a two. I would say Skriniar would be a fantastic addition, but one big caveat, and it depends who you play next to him. Maybe it's Davidson Sanchez, so this can supplement his lack of pace, but it is that lack of pace. It, it's a killer. And if you're going to play a high line, which you're probably not at Spurs, you'll probably play a bit further back, but he'd be a good addition. So you've obviously speak to people linked to the club. Is there anything concrete in terms of Skriniar coming to Tottenham? So first point on Delhi. I think we've probably left it too late to get a deal done for a, a player of that value. Um, maybe a loan. Maybe a loan happens. Particularly after being left out against Chelsea, and it seems like he'll be left out of the Europa League again. So that I think that's 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 the that's the only possibility at this point as a, as a loan for Delhi. I really hope he doesn't leave. I still think he has so much to contribute. Now, Skrinja, I I would say there's. There are too many links for it to, to not be a, a concrete target. Having said that, we've been linked with with um, Kim, Kim Min-jae, the, the South Korean centre-back, since before the window opened for many months and weeks, weeks and months now. And I don't know. I don't know if, if maybe it's a case of one's first choice, one's second Suddenly, it seems like uh, Rudiger is a, is a target as well. Whether that's just a rumor to put pressure on on the powers that be to to release Skriniar a bit cheaper, I don't know. I, I I think it is entirely likely that we are um, interested in Skriniar, and in terms of his style. So again, my 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 guy Nathan A. Clark, follow him on Twitter. He's amazing. He's he's done a video analyzing Skriniar for our patrons. Um, it's basically all I've seen of Skriniar, but it is a really detailed video. And essentially, I mean, Nathan actually really, got to the end of the video. Nathan really liked him. He he likes what he saw. I was a lot less keen. I saw a player who is incredibly proactive, um, very aggressive in the tackle, incredibly good at passing, lots of low through balls, you know, line-breaking passes, through the midfield, uh, he's happy to carry the ball up defence and, and make low passes. 
There's a huge downside, though, which is he leaves massive gaps behind him and he doesn't have recovery pace. And I don't think, I mean, perhaps Davinson can can cover rounds. Dyer, I don't think can. Tanganga can, but it doesn't seem like he's anywhere near first choice. And Alderweireld is uh, a fantastic defender, but um, ageing, you know. Obviously, we're all ageing, but he he's older than, he, he's, what, is he 31 now? He's yeah, something like that. He's he's just the wrong side of thirty, isn't it? And as a centre back, that's maybe a position you can play for a bit longer. But you know, once once your pace gone, we saw it with Vatonga, and it, it just it ruined him, didn't it? Really? Exactly, exactly. So I, I think that I think Skriniar has got a lot of really good points. I'd be interested to see how he would fit into Mourinho's low block, medium block, because that's not how he's played a lot of the time um, in Italy. He's often played in the three, often been the more aggressive defender who's been asked to sort of push forward and win the ball high up the pitch that's his stuff he looks uh from a distance a lot like martin skirtle which is very <laughs> off-putting and yeah. automatically you're thinking oh god is he a bit like skirtle i don't think <laughs> i think he's better than skirtle yeah he uh, is. uh he's not he's also not great in the air he's very tall but he's not very good in the air um yeah, I mean, I, I think he's probably fine, but I think he's a lot of money for a for a for a fine defender. I think, yeah, perhaps we could do better. It's an interesting one. I mean, my last last thoughts on this before we move on to uh, United, obviously versus Spurs preview. But my thing on screening art: if you said to me two years ago that Tottenham were getting him, I'd be thinking fantastic signing, absolutely fantastic, one of the best centre backs upcoming in Europe he's someone who like you said great on the ball but I don't feel like he's developed enough in the last few years and it's very critical isn't it for a centre-back it's like when people say about Eric Bailly came in and looked fantastic but he's had two or three years of injuries where crucial game time is crucial and when I look at him in Italy if you're struggling with pace in Italian football and that's a lot slower than the Premier League we saw with Thiago Silva didn't we Everyone knew, everyone and their dog knew apart from Chelsea fans because Chelsea fans are deluded and they think Frank Lampard is the greatest thing since sliced bread. And I, I'm so happy to see. I know you would be as well. I'm so happy to see. This might get me a few extra followers with some of your followers, but I'm just happy to see. I'm happy to see Chelsea um, sort of get shown up. Because call, call, call him a big fat Tory as well. That goes down well. Tory. <laughs> That's brilliant. But um, I'm just happy to see that. I'm not happy because I think Thiago Silva has been a wonderful player, but I'm happy to see that actually people who don't understand the Premier League are understanding that you can be one of the best players around in Europe, but the Premier League is a different proposition. It's not as technical or tactical as Italian league. It's, that's on another level. Fantastic tactical acumen of the coaches and they're much more, it's much more regimented, but the Premier League is a different animal. The speed, the ferocity, the intensity, you can be the, one of the best centre-backs in the world or up there for years like Thiago Silva, if you come here without that recovery pace and you come here with the manager that doesn't know how to coach a system, you're going to get exploited. And he did the other day. What I what I think is a positive for Tottenham is that Mourinho does have a system. You know that Skriniar is going to come in and he's going to sit in the system. The system is a low block, so that will also cover up his lack of pace. But the system is there. You know, you know the players know exactly what they're doing in the, the, the defence. They're going to be standing a bit further back than, let's say, United would when they play a higher line. But you know he's going to come in. So that's, I think, the positive is that I think Mourinho's he's definitely clever enough. He knows 
if Skriniar's playing, I can't go and play him with Alderweireld. That's that's suicide. I'll play him with a Davinson Sanchez, a Tanganga, who I think's a fantastic young talent. Um, you know, I just I just think when I look at Skriniar, I think it's a lot of money, like you said, fifty to sixty million euros is a lot of money. But and this is from watching a lot of Italian football. I got a lot of Inter friends, Inter Milan fan friends as well, and um, they said they're gutted if he goes. Fantastic player, and he will be one of the top players, top centre-backs in the Premier League. So I guess that's a positive. Have you got anything to add to that, Chris, at all? That's really encouraging. I, I'm yeah, very heartened to hear that. Um, the only thing I would say is, I, 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 and I completely agree as well, that Mourinho isn't stupid. He'll he'll compensate for Skriniar's shortcomings. Are you going to get the best out of him in a, in a Jose Mourinho system? Not convinced about that. I mean, we have got one of, in my view, one of the best ball-playing centre-backs around in Juan Foyt, and he doesn't get a look-in ever. Uh, and I think that's because he's not tall, <laughs> if I'm honest. I think yeah. if he were if he was six foot two, Mourinho would love him, but he's probably 5'10", 5'11", something like that. Uh, but yeah, I mean, it's, it seems like a strange link to me, but I'm, I'd be very, very, very happy to be proven wrong because we, we definitely need, long-term, we definitely need a, a top-class centre-back. Yeah, absolutely. That's that's a great point. It's about the ball-playing abilities. You could definitely see how he'd fit into a Guardiola side. But when you think about Mourinho's side, it's, it's I think the emphasis on the centre-back to step into midfield with the ball is not something you see from Mourinho's side. Uh, hence why I thought the Harry Maguire link was very strange when he was at, when he wanted him at United. Obviously, Koulibaly is another one, but all the all the centre backs now have to be able to play. I think out the back. But when do you see Spurs play out the back? I mean, I've seen them a, f a few times already this season. I, you're not playing out the back like you do sometimes, but you're not playing like a like a City or a Liverpool or an Arsenal. So, look, what I will say on the last point on screen, as I said, fantastic talent still. I would have taken him two years ago. With what United need right now, they need a pacey centre-back because those two are just the slowest centre-back pairing around. And so what I would say is, and with Spurs playing deeper, naturally under Jose, there's more of a low block. I think he could be a fantastic addition. But yeah, there is the, is the synergies there in terms of his attributes and what Jose wants. Because Jose essentially wants someone who's aggressive, who's strong in the air. And that you're right, Skriniar is weak at that. But um, I think he'll be a good addition. And I think he might get the deal done from what I've... I spoke to an Inter fan actually today about it, um, very closely linked. And he said, yeah, look, Conte wants him out. It's just about the fees. So we'll see what happens. But Chris, let's move on to the final topic. And that is United versus Spurs preview. I just kind of want to, I mean, we've touched on some of your strengths already, but I just want to talk to you about some of the weaknesses or concerns that you have with United's attack. So I'll just start with my summary of the game. I think on the break, Spurs. Now Son's injured. I think that's massive, actually. I think that's a massive advantage to us. Now, I was worried because he's in fantastic form. Uh, hit the post in the bar, didn't he, against Newcastle in that first half. But um, that's where I'd be worried on the break. I think when you look at our lack of pace at the back and what you're seeing with United as well is that the defence bunches a lot. We saw with Bergvine, remember the goal after the restart. Luke Shaw doesn't trust what's inside him because Harry Maguire's slow. Likewise, he doesn't trust his pace from the outside. So I think Jose will look to exploit with width. What I will say, though, is I think this might play into United's hands because we'll have a lot of the ball. And I think we've got quality in midfield now. If you look at Pogba was poor the other day, but obviously 
quality on the ball. Bruno Fernandes, not much more to be said, but quality on the ball. That front three as well hasn't hit its stride. I think what will probably hinder United is our match fitness, but we'll have time on the ball. I think that's what helps United. So my only concern is on the break, but I think United might pip it. <laughs> um, possibly 2-1. If Son was there, I would have said it was a draw. But um, I think Tottenham definitely a much better place than they were last season to to cause United more problems, looking more like a Jose side. So uh, that's sort of my assessment of Spurs' strengths and United's weaknesses. What are Spurs' um, strengths and where do you think you can exploit United as well? I think uh, a, a big strength, assuming we win on Thursday nights, is momentum. I, I think momentum counts for so much in football and having... Um, a couple of, of good results under your belt in the not-too-distant past is really, really helpful and will allow us to, to build confidence. Um, the introduction of Regulon into our side has immediately given us another dimension to our attack. So we've essentially uh, not had an, an attacking left fullback for two years <laughs> since Danny Rose was last playing at his the peak of his since he was yeah since he was actually half decent because he's he's just he's declined hasn't he massively exactly exactly and then when Mourinho came in we were playing this lopsided system where Ben Davis would stay back and tuck in and make a third center back in possession and that would give Son a lot of freedom it would mean Son didn't have so many responsive uh, defensive responsibilities and it would allow him space to isolate his man 1v1 and and do what son son does which is which is fantastic but even better is adding a player of regalon's caliber who has insane speed and is, is a very talented um final third passer so that that's definitely uh, an exciting element um, and, and, some, and something I would definitely consider a strength and something we'll need in Son's absence. I mean, you've, you've pinpointed what a loss Son is on the, on the counter. It's a huge loss. We don't really have players that can do what he does, that kind of out-in run uh, between the full-back and the centre-back and in behind. The only players, I think, in the squad that we've got that can do that with any regularity are Delhi, who's obviously been sidelined at, the, at this point, and, and potentially Sessignon. Maybe, maybe Sessignon is a surprise selection on the left because he is re his movement off the ball is fantastic and that is a, a key stroke of his, of his. So that, that's got some um, legs, I think. Uh, but we will definitely miss on. Other key strength is that Harry Kane is an absolute monster and is in tremendous form again. And he is basically unplayable when he's in this form. He, he is... Somehow he's still underrated as, a, as an all-round player. He is... Incredible. He's, you know what? What I will say about Kane, and I've always said he's the best, he's the best striker in the league. Definitely, he's probably. I'd say Lewandowski is probably at the moment the best striker in the world, but that's just purely because what he's played. Kane was injury hit last season, but what Harry Kane at the peak of his power, one of the most underrated aspects of his game is his playmaking ability. People just think he scores goals. If you just watch some of the passes he makes, as you said, when he comes deep, honestly, amazing. I'm worried about Kane because he's. He's in very, very fine form. He looks fit, doesn't he? You, you definitely, you definitely should be worried about Kane. Uh, I think there is good reason to be worried about Kane. I think 
I think we'll score. I think we'll score against United. Uh, so the, the question comes, how many will we concede? Um, I'm, I'm a bit worried, I must admit. It very much depends on how we approach the game. Are we, we going to play like we did in the first half against Chelsea, where we surrender possession, accept 25% possession, sit back, you know, play play a low block, hope that United keep the ball in, in the final third without actually being able to carve us open and then catch on the counter? Maybe, maybe we play that way, but without Son, that's really difficult. It's difficult to get up the pitch. It's difficult to get in behind. It's, you, you don't have the same threats up against those Man U centre-backs. I think we're going to have to attempt to at least go toe-to-toe for part of the game, and that opens things up. And, you know, Rashford's fantastic. Greenwood's fantastic. Fernandez is fantastic. Pogba's passing is almost unparalleled. So so there'll be chances, I think. Um, and we'll have to defend really, really carefully. And, I mean, the other thing is we'll have to rotate in the next couple of games. So it might not be our absolute first choice 11. Yeah, fantastic points. What I will add to that, actually, probably a benefit for for Tottenham, probably a positivity for Tottenham, is that United are very, very unmatched fit. You know, you look at the first game of the season, I was very angry. I think I was more angry at the the organisation from the club to have one preseason game, get the players back and expect them to play. It's not good enough. Again, again, bright against Brighton, it was a massive smash and grab. I mean, I, I hadn't how... realized that. I hadn't realized yeah. they only had one preseason game. That's yeah. insane. Crazy. I mean, who does that? And this is the thing. I think what you saw on the weekend as well, you saw you saw Man City get smashed for five. When have they ever done that? You saw Wolves again got beat by four by a very poor West Ham side. So the three teams that went deep in or had that extra couple of weeks in European football are the ones that look undercooked. So that is where my, I think, where's a positive. I think the negative for Spurs, you've got so many games, isn't it? Four and eight games or whatever, four and eight days or something ridiculous like that. So for us, we, we tonight is very important. We're playing Brighton in the next hour and a half. That's very important. But that's the, that's the one area which I say, if, if Tottenham start fast and aggressive and intense, United will be in trouble because there just isn't match fitness. We played three games. Brighton had played nine by the time we played Brighton the, the other day on the weekend. So it's just a complete, it makes me angry. Look, there's a lot of problems at United, but one of the biggest problems is that something like that, you would get the players back early, at least play some more games behind closed doors. We played Villa just before the season lost. Um, and you kind of, you look, you can be the best player in the world. If you're not match fit, then it, it makes a big difference. So I'll, I'll still go with United 2-1 just because I, I just, I think with the extra games that Spurs are playing and also the fact that the way Spurs play, the way that Jose sets up actually benefits United. We're not going to be pressed on the ball. We struggle when teams press us up high up, up the pitch. We, 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 there will be a press, but it won't be as intense as a Southampton or a, or a Liverpool, obviously, or a City. So, Chris, any last final words you want to add before we wrap up? So you're, you're saying 2-1, uh, I assume both penalties? <laughs> yeah, honestly, you know what? Tears in my eyes if we get penalties because the way we're playing at the moment, we need every little bit of help that we can get. <laughs> well, hopefully, we'll, both teams will get through the game without suffering any severe muscular injuries because I, I think I'd cry if we were to lose another another key player. It would not be good. But uh, yeah. yeah, hopefully, hopefully, it's a it's an enjoyable game with no injuries. Absolutely, absolutely. And I, I always enjoy playing Tottenham. I think you know, I, I have a lot of 
so much respect for what Spurs have done under Pochettino. It was incredible to watch and it was sad how it ended, but you know, I hope Pochettino could come to United and and do what he did at Tottenham, hopefully on a on a similar sort of scale. But Chris, just tell the listeners, because look, this is a Premier League podcast. We're we're very early in our development. It's we've been on YouTube for two, three months now, but um getting some fantastic guests like yourself. But to we're trying to get more Tottenham fans to come to the channel as well. All the Premier League fans, it's a football channel. So just tell the listeners where they can find your fantastic podcast. Sure. Um, I mean, firstly, uh, the, the Spurs fans are probably going to be put off the channel now because I they'll call me um, a Mourinho hater and Mr. <laughs> Negative. I, I mean, don't don't get me wrong. I, I, I don't like Mourinho as a person, but I absolutely appreciate his achievements over the years. Yeah. Uh, I think it's important just to sort of say that as a caveat. Um, <laughs> uh, my The podcast that I host is called The Extra Inch. Uh, it's called The Extra Inch because it was a spin-off from uh, a podcast called The Fighting Cock, which is a fabulous podcast that was uh, I, I was a part of for many years. Um, and we thought it was a, a clever play on words, uh, given the Great British Bake-Off extra there. slice thing, extra inch, you get it? Um, yeah. So yes, The Extra Inch, uh, Tottenham Hotspur podcast. You can find us on Twitter at The Extra Inch, Facebook, um, The Extra Inch. We've got Patreon, which, as you can guess, is forward slash The Extra Inch. Uh, where Nathan is producing fantastic analytical videos and we're doing extra podcasts. I've got a, a coach and analyst who I do a, a weekly podcast with for the patrons. We've got Discord channel, we've got Premier League, Fantasy Premier League, um, League, all kinds of fun things. Um, yeah, so so if, if you like uh, if you like the, the cut of my jib in terms of my anti-Jose Mourinho agenda, uh, check it out. If you are a Mourinho stan, uh, don't look for me on Twitter. <laughs> Fantastic. Chris, what we'll do is we'll put down, I'll, I'll get the links off you. We'll put them down in the description below. Chris, mate, this has been an absolute pleasure. Honestly, it's so refreshing to talk to a rival fan and not have slanging matches, not having Arsenal fan TVS sort of conversations. So thank you very much for joining me today, mate. You're very welcome. And and look after yourself in these in these tough times. I will do, mate. And to all the listeners, make sure you give Chris a follow. We'll put his at handle in the description. Give me a follow if you like seeing my face every single day, pretty much, because I'm doing a podcast every day. Make sure you like and subscribe, and we will see you.